0: Welcome to the Lutheran Outdoor Ministry Podcast. This is the place to be to hear all the latest news and information about the world's finest outdoor ministry network. And now, as always, here's your host, the Executive Director of Lutheran Outdoor Ministries, Mr. Don Johnson. Hey, uh, hi everybody. Uh, I'm glad that you're with us. I'm glad to be here, and we have a treat in store for us today because our LOM podcast guest today is none other than (laughs) Professor Hans Wiersma. There you go. And Hans Wiersma is pretty well known throughout the LOM network. (laughs) Okay, right. He's an assistant professor of religion at Augsburg University And that, of course, is one of the ELCA-related colleges and universities. And Hans, you may remember him, because if you were at the LOM conference in 2017 in Colorado, Hans was one of our keynote speakers. Of course, our theme at that time was Living into Reformation, Practicing Relevant Faith. And Hans made a great presentation on Luther and how Luther continues to influence us today and the Reformation and how we continue to live into Reformation. And Hans also serves on the LOM Education Committee. So Hans Wismer, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you very much for taking the time. I'm interviewing you all the way from Brussels, Belgium. And ladies and gentlemen, I do want you to know that Hans is in Brussels. I am in Freedom, New Hampshire, for this (laughs) interview. But we're looking at each other other on Zoom. And Hans, thanks for taking the time to be with us. And uh, to get us started, uh, if you would- It's good to be here, Don, it's good to be here. About yourself, your history, how you got to where you are as a college professor, and uh, maybe some of the touch points along the way, because I know that you've had a lot of experience with outdoor ministry uh, in the span of your life as well. So if you could just introduce yourself a little bit that way.
1: Sure. Uh, you gave me a lot of entree there, Don. I, I don't want to take up too much time introducing myself. But I think it's <laughs> worth saying that you know my journey um, as a Lutheran Christian leader started with uh, my first summer at Flathead Lutheran Bible Camp in um, Lakeside, Montana. I was back in 1982, kind of left college on a whim that summer at the invitation of my old confirmation pastor, Gary Cockrell, I said, hey, you want to spend a summer next to a lake? I said, that sounds good. Yeah. And, and at the time, I was going to be a film and video dude, you know, working in Southern California in the industry. That was my my goal. And And really what that summer at camp did for me was kind of... Sh- you know, jerked me around to a new way of thinking about um, vocation and so forth. So went from summer camp, then a couple more summer camps, then uh, interest in full-time ministry. I started as a youth director, then I got an interest in ordination, uh, became a pastor, and then through being a pastor, became interested in being a Lutheran educator. It really all started, I'd like went with so many Lutheran leaders, um, it started with summer camp. Yeah, I'm an, I'm an educator at Augsburg University in Minneapolis. Uh, but, I'm teaching in the religion department. My specialty is uh, history of Lutheran Christianity, and um, you know my heart is with with our particular unique uh, confessional contribution to the Christian scene. So that's kind of a in a nutshell, if you want to dig into any part of that, I'm glad to. yeah.
0: Wow, you have good roots there, <laughs> <In> the, <laughs> of the ministry experiences. And one of the things I picked off your Brief biographical statement that's on the website at uh-huh. ours. As you mentioned, your passion for teaching religion in a student body uh, that has become increasingly diverse and is now very diverse. And in some ways, uh, that's very similar to what's happening in mm-hmm. our camps and our retreat centers. Uh, they're having similar kinds of realities that they're dealing with they want to be arenas for learning and proclamation of the gospel and yet they're in the midst of a culture that's increasingly secular mm-hmm. and i i'm wondering if you'd talk a little bit with us about what you've learned on the college campus that you think might be helpful to us in outdoor ministry about wrestling with those kinds of issues being yeah. christian being lutheran in the midst of more and more secularization
1: Yes, yes, that has been a surprise for me i've been at it for fifteen years at Augsburg University, and when I began, I would say that the student body was predominantly Christian in, in self identity um, and we had when I started, we had about thirty percent students who identified as Lutheran um, and then about i think seventy five percent total at Augsburg who said i'm either Roman Catholic or Baptist or something, but some kind of Christian.
2: In those 15 years,
1: all those numbers have gone down and the, numbers, the number that has increased are students who identify as non-religious. And I get more and more students who uh, come in to my introduction to religious, religion class, um, either an, um, with antipathy toward their Christianity or just complete indifference. You know that wasn't the case 15 years ago, but now, with for every class of 25 students, I'll have four or five who identify as atheist or agnostic, and then of the ones who identify as Christian or some other religion, um, they they come in with lots of questions. Also, so even if they don't identify as agnostic or atheist, they're kind of almost practically secular. They're not very committed to Christianity. They come into my classes wanting answers rather than voicing commitment. So that's changed. And I think that's true just in talking with camp counselors and visiting summer camps for the past few years. You know, they're, they are the kinds of students generally, you know, the kind of people who are generally speaking would be committed to Christianity, but they're very aware that we are living in a time when Christianity is in decline. We can no longer assume that people are knowledgeable about the faith or even friendly toward it. So even the camp counselors I've noticed are coming into Lutheran camp work with an awareness that the context is completely different than it was even 10 or 15 years ago. I make my students analyze the the situation we're in now, where every year more and more people identify as non-religious. And I make all of my students, whether they're atheist, fundamentalist, whatever they are, I make them Uh, come up with an answer to the question, why is Christianity in decline in our culture?
0: In relating to students who are are questioning, unconvinced, uh, perhaps convinced that uh, Christianity is not for them, uh, uh, have... Have you learned any lessons about relating to th- yeah. students that, uh, that might be helpful to us? Either things you've learned that you don't want to repeat or things that have <laughs> worked out really well.
1: Yeah. Well, somewhere along the line, I picked up a question. I don't even know where I picked it up. But when you run into somebody who's very against religion or Christianity and specific or even the idea of God you know an open ended question is um, tell me a little bit about the god you don't believe in and i think you can narrow that for christianity you know why do you you know if, if someone's left the faith why do you no longer think christianity is relevant or if they've never been a christian why do you uh, you know what is it about christianity that that makes you think it's irrelevant or you know past its prime or whatever and you get a lot just open, asking that open ended question It's very revealing. And I think one of the answers that I get a lot from my students is that for many, Christianity has become part of the problem. And the the number of students who point to the hypocrisy of Christianity, especially certain kinds of Christianity, uh, grows every year. It's always the number one objection. You know, a guy wrote a book a few years ago called um, They Like Jesus But Not the Church. it's a It's a pretty good title, it's a pretty okay book, but I think the idea of it is gets kind of at the problem. There's almost an awareness out there that that Jesus Christ, who walked the earth two thousand years ago, is not being well represented by the people who bear his name today. and there is a strong awareness of that among unbelievers and among believers that that's a big problem right now the We've always been hypocrites as Christians, but the objection of about the hypocrisy is really big right now yeah Yeah, and and politics you know if i can be a little bit political right now you know i think there's you know as as you watch people object to um what's happening in our leadership and government um a lot of them say you know and that's supposed to be christian that's does Christians support this yeah there's a lot of that i get
0: yeah unfortunately the lutheran brand of christianity and uh, mainline Protestantism isn't what is being defined as Christianity yeah. in India these days. And I mean, the other thing that strikes me is that it's such an important question for all of our, our outdoor ministries because we want people representing our outdoor ministries. I mean, it would be great if 100% of our people were totally gung-ho convinced that um, uh, of their faith and, and wanting nothing, nothing less than to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of their work in mm-hmm. the ministry. And at the same time, we also have stories of, um, I think of my own bishop here in New England, Bishop Hazelwood, who uh, his faith story is that he never really experienced Christ or or Christianity or religion at all even though we're growing up in Minnesota going to a Lutheran college until his roommate invited him to join him at El Camino Pines for a summer Oh week. really yeah and it was his embrace by that community that just mm-hmm brought him in and so forth. So Mm -hmm. if we close ourselves off to those who are questioning or not convinced, um, Mm -hmm. we might be giving up a really important opportunity for evangelism.
1: 100% agree. That's why I think you have to represent, as a follower of Christ, you have to represent Christ the way Christ himself lived, and that is you know, meeting people on the ground where they were at and being open to their stories and their questions and and then being invitational and inviting them along for the ride, uh, rather than giving reasons to object to, you know, the, the Christian path right from the get-go.
0: Right. Well, I know that from our conversations that we've had, you have a particular interest in Lutheran camps, being Lutheran. In fact, the idea for this podcast <laughs> came out of um, a brief uh, interchange in our LOM Education Committee, and we, we were talking about some stuff like this. And you you made a comment uh, in regard that um, you know that you really are, uh, really interested in Lutheran camps, indeed being Lutheran. So if you could uh, just talk a little bit more about that, flush that out a little bit, and also from your experience share any concerns that you might have in that regard, and uh, also any observations about how we can go about doing that?
1: Okay. Again, you've given me a wide entree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's, the Lutheran landscape in the USA is really interesting. We've got two main branches, one that's you know, um, on the left or liberal, if you're going to use the labels, and one that's on the right and conservative. Uh, and yet we share a similar confession. You know, we share the Augsburg Confession. These two Lutheran, ELCA and LCMS, and uh, we share a similar catechism. I, I'm an ELCA pastor and educator, and um, I, I I like what our denomination stands for. But sometimes it seems to me that whereas let's I'm going to characterize again, the Missouri might be um, you know, what you used to call an Orthodox Lutheran, you know, a little bit pushing, pushing the doctrine a little too much. I think on the ELCA side, we can almost forget our, our doctrine, to use the, the, the naughty D word, a little bit too much. And we have a great resource, especially in the Catechism, uh, which describes, which gives a vision for what it means to be a Christian, not only what, how you think, uh, but, but, but how you act. And I think sometimes we in the ELCA can kind of run after non-Lutheran idols, let's say, uh, but we've got a great resource in the catechism. So not that I want everyone learning the catechism from Sunday to Saturday when they're at camp, but but we have a we have a picture of the Christian life that was given to us um, by these reformers 500 years ago. And it can be the principles of it can be updated for modern times, for modern concerns. In such a way that you don't even have to tell people. oh, now you're learning the catechism, but you can do it in such a way that you are still being true to our our particular brand uh, brand of Christianity, the Lutheran brand. But what's the Lutheran brand? Well, I think one is, of course, our 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 emphasis on justification by faith uh, apart from works, with the understanding that proper faith then produces good works. So there's that, and I think that is an insight that a lot of Christians from other brands, don't have or share or emphasize that what to me is a proper relationship between faith and works. And then another um, insight that we Lutheran Christians have that we don't emphasize or bring out in, uh, enough, I think, but which would speak especially right now to the present situation, is our insight about the theology of the cross. And right now, in in Christianity in this country, you have what Luther beginning in 1518, would have clearly identified as a theology of glory. And that is that somehow that Christians are going to come out on top and all the worldly trappings of of power and might and prestige are going to be awarded uh, to Christians according to um, the world. And Luther saw through that and said, no, um, the proper Christian life will often be marked with not glory or wisdom, even or the things that are honorable, but instead things that seem foolish to the world, things that the world despises and 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 and, and the idea that those things are marked often by um, by suffering or at least drawing near to those who suffer so we we have a lot to learn, I think, just from the particular way we teach justification by faith and the way we think about the cross of Jesus Christ and what that means for our theology, and bringing both those things together and sort of at the ground level teaching our young people what it means to be a Christian who thinks that way about the cross and about justification, it's going to position you in in a certain way in the world that often looks like it's standing against the dominant Christianity in our culture right now. But I think it's time to do that. I think the dominant Christianity in the culture, the one that has the power and makes all the headlines, is not doing anyone a lot of favors, especially the downtrodden, the the weak and the lowly.
0: It sounds to me what you're suggesting to us in outdoor ministry, in terms of um, maintaining our Lutheran identity, that um, no matter what, audience we might be dealing with, what's important is to make sure that what we're teaching, what we're providing for people to experience, what we're advocating for is um, all within a foundation that is distinctly Lutheran, and we need to go no further than the catechism for for understanding. Yeah,
1: although the catechism, that's, that's what's great about uh, our, our confessions is that, you know, basically catechism and the Augsburg Confession kind of flesh it out. But there is sort of this hidden strand that's hidden in those two main confessional documents that I call the theology of the cross. Yeah. So you have to kind of teach catechism, you know, those basics, but with this kind of overall view that, look, God The creator of all things decided to be known through a man who got himself crucified on a cross. What does that mean? That God didn't decide to reveal himself, you know, reveal God's self, you know, by coming in as as a king, descending in a chariot. Or God decided not to be revealed, you know, through appearing as a big tree that people worship like in the movie Avatar. What does it mean for those who follow the crucified and risen Christ? What does it mean for our lives that that is how God came to us and comes to us through one who endures the worst of of human uh, life and the atrocities that humans uh, can commit uh, upon each other rather than someone who comes with, you know, power, might, glory, you know, worldly wisdom, all those things. I guess... There's, a, there's an imagination that we can use when we talk to our, our young people about what it means to know God in Christ that, that the theology of the cross informs. You know, it's what does it mean that God said, this is how I'm going to show myself to the world. This is how I'm going to be most known to the humans I created through myself in human form, you know, live the life and then crucified and then risen. There's an implication, I think. Uh, and it's, there's an attraction to that. People go, oh, when you put it that way, wow, that's compelling, you know, let me think about that. It's not, I wouldn't have never expected God to show up that way. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. You, catechism is, of course, uh, something that gives us all the essentials, but there's an imagination that the theology of the cross can help foster in people. Mm-hmm. As they try to figure out what it means to be a follower of this Christ, uh, and and that imagination then makes it more than just remembering doctrine, but it creates a, a heart, a, the right kind of heart to live out the faith.
0: Those are really helpful words of guidance for all of us, but particularly for those of us who are outdoor ministry professionals to keep at the core of what we're all about. I think that's really a good reminder for all yeah. of
1: us. Well, you know, can I, I'll brag a little bit on the camp that I'm most connected with and that's Flathead uh, Lutheran in, in Montana. They, yeah. do a, they do a passion play, you know, every Thursday and they've, yeah. they've uh, you know got this whole thing staged wonderfully and they've put together all kinds of different music and they've got the right kind of inter- instruments. You know, sometimes you'll even get somebody playing a cello or a flute, or something along with the guitars, but but you know they, the the story is rehearsed there. The story of the crucified and risen one is rehearsed there every Thursday. Yeah. And not just campers and counselors are there participating, but you know they'll draw parents and and I think you know was, as Christians we're not just people who remember a story that happened two thousand years ago. It's it's as followers of Christ we embody that story in our own lives. So, you know, if you can rehearse that story enough in whatever way a different camp does it and say, this isn't just a story we remember yeah. and, and get all sad about once a year or twice a year, but it's a, it's a, it's a story of how, uh, of, of how our life might look, you know, giving ourselves, emptying ourselves for the sake of others. So I think every camp is going to do that in a different way, but it's, you know, it's not just learning lessons. I think, you know, a camp really holds a lot of promise for is, is really showing young people what the ideal Christian, you know, what the, what, the, what the vision for the ideal Christian life can look like. And that's how I experience camp. You know, you get a, it's not perfect, but it really is kind of a on top experience um, that gets you ready for the valleys that you're going to inevitably, inevitably go, go through.
0: This is a curiosity thing for me. You continue to be involved in Flathead, and that was your childhood camp as well, right?
1: No, actually, my childhood camp was a Mount Cross Lutheran Camp in Ooh. the Santa Cruz Mountains in California. So I grew up in oh. the Bay Area, and so my camp, my parents were big supporters there, and yeah, we spent we spent lots of time there in the summer. Um, okay. But then it was when I was in college that I got invited to start spending summers at Flathead in Montana. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll do a shout-out for Gary Cockrell, who was my confirmation pastor. Then he moved to Montana and invited me out there. But had he not done that, I, would, I wouldn't be enjoying the life I'm enjoying now. That's for sure.
0: He's a great guy yeah. and a uh, good friend. And, yeah, good. Um, I, um, I've had many good moments with Gary at outdoor ministry conferences. I um, yeah. had the greatest respect for him as an outdoor ministry leader. Absolutely. Now you're immersed in university community. And that's uh, the prime demographic for you is the prime demographic that we in outdoor ministry have for so many of our summer camp positions. Wow, that's been a big challenge for many of our camps in recent times, especially this past summer. In finding enough uh, enough young adults, primarily college students, to uh, attract them to accept a position at one of our Lutheran summer camp programs and um, and I think it's uh, it 's a question of um, recruiting
2: mm.
0: and but once they're they're um, connected in with a particular summer camp staff, uh, it's a retention thing in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, it, it makes it a lot easier for our camps if a counselor starts in their first or second year of college and repeats for two or three mm-hmm. summers. Here's the question of you, you're immersed in that kind of, in, in the college community all the time. Do you have any suggestions for us in terms of how we might be more successful in recruiting the number of students we need and in retaining them for more than one flash in the pan
1: something? Yeah.: yeah, this is uh, this is um, kind of a Pandora's box kind of question. You know I just I, I compare. Now, college students today to when I was a college student, I won't say what year I graduated from college, but I was paying um, $1,400 a year for tuition for three quarters at the University of California. Um, And it had gone up from $1,200. At the same time, I was making $8 uh, an hour at the job I was working on campus. So it was very easy to put myself... Uh, through college and even save up some money. I mean, it's incredible that you could do that much easier, much more easily than you can now. So now, whenever I get students, you know, we have a a ministry major or a pre-minute, you know, youth and family ministry major, called a religion and public life major. You know, we get students who are just have a deep, deep heart for ministry, and their parents are telling them, "Is that really what you're going to do for a living? Because there's no money in it, and you're going to be hundred thousand dollars in debt by the time you get out." Yeah. And so there's it's just our students coming in are getting talked out of by the culture, by their parents, by financial realities, uh, the ministry career. Then you add to that, you know, stuff with Jake Sorensen's research has shown that people who do actually um, get involved in a, in a summer of outdoor ministry are more likely to become leaders in the church. But you've got a situation now where it's less likely for somebody to sign up for that because of the financial hardships of spending a summer where you're not making you know $15 an hour waiting tables but but um you know whatever $150 a week plus room and board so I've had students say you know I'd love to work at camp but I just can't with the understanding that the it's not financially feasible so one question would be how do you make it financially feasible so what we were doing um, for a while was Um, And I think this money has dried up at Augsburg University, so we have to find other resources for it. But we were um, providing a a stipend for students who would work at ELCA camp. So they'd be paid by the camp, and then they would be, um, then they'd get a little bit of an extra stipend from Augsburg University. And then at the same time, I would write a letter to a student's congregation and say, Uh, this student of yours who's at Augsburg uh, is going to be working at such and such a camp. Uh, Augsburg is giving them a stipend. Would you consider giving them an additional stipend uh, to support their, their year at camp, uh, their summer at camp? So I think one of the ways is, you know, you have to kind of go against uh, the present situation or find it, make it possible for students to look at the present financial hardships of being in college of getting an education tell them this is possible. We can, we can make it so that you make about as much money as you would if you were waiting tables and paying rent. So I think one of them is just a financial sell saying, this is going to be the best summer of your life. And you won't, it's not going to be a big financial, it's not going to be the big financial hit you, you think it's going to be. So however that happens, but I think that has to happen as a partnership um, with congregations, with Lutheran universities, and, of course, with LOM. So that's just, a, that's just the money part of it. But now you gotta sell, uh, you got to sell the idea that, that camp is still a good thing for kids. Um, I've had a student say, you know, I had a great year at camp, and I loved it a lot, but it's really indoctrination. So this crazy idea that, you know, because it's a Christian camp and you're going to be singing Jesus songs, it's there for indoctrination. You know, we don't. We we as Lutherans, we have at least the freedom not to have an altar call, at like some of the other camps do, where there's just it really is kind of more indoctrination. But, but I think part of it is there's there's this idea out there that that uh, camp has like a negative side. Um, so I think you know we know from the inside all the positives that camp can do, and so some of it is just getting people's stories out there. And I think, um, you know, camp webs, you know, websites for congregations and for camps can include testimonials and, you know, send people to listen to those. But it's, it's you know, there's no, I don't think there's any, any easy answers right now. It's, it is just a hard sell. You know, back when Gary Cockrell invited me back in the 1980s, hey, you want to spend a summer at camp? I didn't have any student loans. And they were still going to pay me 150 bucks, which with Reuben Board taking care of, I thought, well, that'll buy me you know, some nice pairs of sneakers and so forth. So, but those, those days are, are gone. Now you get, you're thinking about how much money do I need to pay my tuition? And it's not 150 bucks a week.
0: There's no, no doubt about it, that it's a hard sell from the financial perspective. It's also perceived by some as a hard sell from the perspective of career development.
2: Mm-hmm. Of,
0: Correct. Of through LOM, um, we can do some things through um, some marketing and so forth that can do a better job of making the sell of um, career development,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and skill uh, skills and um, competencies that will be valuable for a lifetime, not only mm-hmm. for work and career, mm-hmm. but also in terms of just... Uh, interpersonal relationships yep.
1: in general i've had students say th- in, that they, they come back from a job interview and they were asked about their camp involvement and i think there is for the kind of young person who goes to a summer camp who's attracted to summer camp work and then benefits from what they experience and learn during those years at summer camp those summers uh, there there is, I'm generalizing here, but there is a, a level of uh, emotional intelligence, let's say, that a lot of employers might not find in, in the general population. And I've had students say that they experienced that their job interview went better because they had their summer camp experience on their resume and that they were asked about it by their interviewer.
0: Exactly. I, I think we've done a reasonably good job in... Lifting up awareness of how important camps have been for so many people who have discerned call to public ministry mm-hmm. um, but i I think that uh there's this sense out there that okay, it's good if you want to be you know, be a pastor or a deacon and uh, that's a that's a great thing to do, and you know, that can certainly uh help your career but. What about if you want to be a nurse or an engineer yeah. or yeah. Uh, you know right. a teacher and certainly in any kind of caring profession and teaching yeah. profession that kind of thing that there are so many um ways that uh, the direct the, the direct um, connection can be made yeah. uh, that we haven't been making even in those direct connections.
1: there's a lot of students who we get at Augsburg who are interested in ministry broadly understood are are still a little bit worried about full-time employment in the institution.
2: Yeah. But they
1: want to make a difference and they're attracted to our religion major or our religion and uh, public life major or our youth and religion and public life major um, not because they want to go in the congregation particularly but because they want to make a difference. Um, and I think you know that's uh, that's something that when I think about the counselors I worked with back in the day, but also the kind of young people who are attracted to summer camp now or who are getting, uh, you know, formed by some summer camp experiences. Um, That's kind of where I see the heart more generally is, you know, I feel called to make a difference, uh, to serve my neighbor not necessarily in the institutional church, but what I learned here at camp um, is equipping me not for the institutional church necessarily, but because I can make it a difference on behalf of my neighbor. So I think that's true in the colleges for the students we have who are interested in our religion majors or our ministry majors. And I think it's very true on a summer camp staff, you know, the, even more so maybe than, than 30 years ago, a lot of young people who are, you know, they're just more mature than I think I was when I was 20, 21.
2: <laughs> <laughs> By
0: necessity, probably. Yeah, right. There's another big sea change for so many of our outdoor ministries, especially s- summer camps, is that um, uh, the feeder system w- was always for congregations, I and mean, you could always tend in the congregations to be feeding kids yep. with summer camp programs, uh, not so much anymore, and yeah. uh, that that's been a big change, and as a result, camps have had to look beyond congregations for summer campers to fill the beds and to be part of the program, which gives us a huge opportunity from an evangelism point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was always a presumption that Campers had a certain degree of literacy, biblical literacy, and doctrinal literacy that we, we can't take for granted anymore. And so that impacts on uh, what we have for curriculum, or Bible study, and all that kind of thing. The other thing is, though, uh, along with that, is that we can't always count on our summer camp staff. Uh, to be as biblically literate or doctrinally literate as we once were. And I wonder if you have any um, suggestions for us in terms of preparing college students who may not have had the depth of um, Christian education experience and catechetical experience, uh, preparing them for what we want them to do in terms of teaching and witnessing and yeah. worshiping with kids and all that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I just, I remember the, the period of counselor training, you know, at the front end of the camp, that was, that was just so exciting for me and just um, having pastors come in and leading us through Bible studies and being able to ask questions and kind of discuss things and even argue things, not just with those pastors who would come in as resources, for staff training, but also from your fellow counselors who also came in with different faith questions or, or even levels of knowledge. Um, so as I always remember the those the period of staff training because I went through uh three of them and I've I've spoken at some since. You know, I've helped lead them. Um those are always exciting times and what makes it exciting is you you're with this little community you're going to be with all summer. and You're kind of beginning to find out where everyone's at. You're also beginning to find out that you, oh yeah, I got to, you know, I'm not just going to be canoeing all summer. I'm going to be teaching Mm -hmm. something. And uh, do I really believe it? So, but then of course, once camp kicks in, you're working hard, and there's, as everyone has found out, it's hard to reinforce that or to keep it going. You know, to to provide that kind of ongoing education or counselors. You come to an end of a week, and you just want to, you just want to say goodbye for 24. 36 hours you don't want to go into another bible study to learn some more bible for two hours i I don't know if there's a magic a a magic bullet the correct answer for how to bring counselors um, up to speed i think you got to kind of meet them where they are you kind of find out you give them that crash course at the beginning and then maybe in the summer you have a refresher course or a little seminar that's on a Saturday morning where you bring in breakfast and you ask them to stay, stay a little, you know, you ask them to stay before they go out and do their laundry or whatever. But I don't think there's anything just the way camp is designed, that you can't do a lot more time-wise above and beyond what you offer at staff training. Now I'll say that with that said, I think there are some spiritual exercises that you can build into the counselor's experience where they're encouraged to or supported to, you know, do the devotes, you know, the Latina, she can't remember remember what it's called, the thing where you meditate over um, uh, uh, Bible readings, you know, so so teaching and equipping counselors to have Um, uh, kind of a spiritual discipline through the summer, you know, teaching journaling, teaching meditation on scripture passage, teaching basic mindfulness exercises. So at least, you know, from a practicing standpoint, they're still doing some things to build their own faith practice and faith life.
0: Yeah, that's really a good reminder because it's so easy to get caught up in all the stuff that we're doing. But to keep at least a little bit of a focus back on ourselves and what we are experiencing spiritually, and Mm -hmm. how our um, how our relationship with God is
1: yeah, and and included with that is devotional reading. So you are learning scripture, and that might build in some questions. So you are you know you find other things to read. I remember doing a lot of reading on the weekends at camp. You know that was how I kind of you know kind of recharged you know so there's a social part of it but then i you know as an introvert a little bit i also need to read and i remember somebody said oh, why don't you read dostoevsky's brothers karamazov which is a very biblical novel and it got it just kind of lit a fire under me you know so wow. i just i just i just caught the right book i just happened to catch the right book wow. and, and the whole thing is very very it's a very biblical spiritual book uh, so I don't think, you know, building in more classes or seminars. So every week, students are doing intense Bible st- I mean, you know, counselors are doing intense Bible study is yeah. your answer. But I think building in the spiritual practices, the, the devotional reading, you know, even having a reading list of recommended books or something. Yeah. You know, there are ways. So when uh, counselors do need to recharge, that the resources that would re- re- recharge their spiritual life. Are, are, are ready for they're ready they're, they're being shared
0: well hans we're getting um near the end of our time together here and oh. this has been a, a very thought-provoking and uh a good at least for me a really good conversation yeah me
1: too yeah great
0: appreciate that we've talked um quite a lot about changes that have taken place in society and how you've noted that on the college campus and how we've noted that at our camps and retreat centers in the changes that you've observed are there any that we haven't brought to the the surface that you think are worth um uh, mentioning
1: before we sign off well maybe not not anything new but i am stru- i i think we're I, th- I think we're, we're at a Europe moment. So after the Second World War, you know, the 20 years after the Second World War, Europe kind of went off over a precipice and they became a, a, a majority Christian area to a majority secular area. I, I think we're, you know, with 75 percent now identifying as religious and the other 25 percent identifying as non-religious. It, you know, I see us kind of rolling down a hill that's getting steeper. And I do not see, I don't see a, a slowdown yet. Europe hits a slowdown and is actually, you know, back on the rise a little bit. People getting more interest in religion with immigration. There's, there's more here in Europe. There's more, more, um, more people who identify as religious. So they're actually back on an upswing. But they had to get all the way down to, you know, 20%, you know, depending on the country, 30% of people who identify as religious are Christian before they leveled out. And I don't know where our level is. It still goes down every year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not really good news for camps or any ministry organization. But whatever is contributing to the secularizing force, uh, the secularizing trend in our nation, I don't see that ending anytime soon, especially kind of with you know more fundamentalist kinds of Christianity uh, becoming more and more um, you know, headline makers and becoming more representative of Christianity, I think you have this other side of it that more and more people are put off by it. So that's that's kind of if there's a trend to worry about, it's that I don't necessarily see a leveling off point at 25% okay. non religious. I think we're going to get to 30, 35% in the next 10 years uh, as people identifying as non religious. So the response to a secularizing culture. Um, the need to be able to do that well is going to become more important and not less important as we go forward. So that counts for any ministry organization. There are challenges
2: in there front of us. There are challenges. Yeah. That's for but, sure. Um, but uh,
1: we've got a Holy Spirit that has helped us with those challenges for 2,000 years.
2: So that's right.
1: We human beings have managed, despite ourselves, not to sink the movement and it's, it's uh, still going strong.
0: That's right. And even... Outdoor ministry for Lutherans has been going on as of this July 5th, 100 years. Oh
1: my goodness, that is great! Yeah, I love yep. it. Happy anniversary! It's yeah, been a lot but we have a lot to offer. We, I mean, all of our camps, you know, the gifts that we have, the heritage we have, um, the, the faith formation strategies and, and uh, the people, you know, we do we, we have so many riches still, so
2: absolutely, it over yet. Absolutely.
0: Well, Hans, um, thank you very much for this time. Thank you. Thank you. Your ministry for the work you do on campus and for the work you do in the research you do. And, and thank you very much for being such a good partner and collaborator with Outdoor Ministry. Thank you for your Service on the Education Committee of LOM. And we look forward to seeing you often in the time ahead. Thanks. All right, Don.
1: Thank yeah. you so much and, all, and all, all of the blessings to you as well as you head into the summer.
0: Ah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the only official Lutheran Outdoor Ministry podcast in the entire world. Until next time, check out the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries website or our Facebook page, so long for now from the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries World Headquarters on behalf of Don
2: Johnson have a wonderful day